Alrighty. Great worship there. So, thanks, Caleb, for that. Awesome, man. So, it's great to be with you guys. Great to see some familiar faces. I won't say old faces, but <laughs> some familiar faces. Um, yeah, what a pleasant surprise and need to um, be able to catch up with some of you guys and uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We need it these days, right? Yeah. Man, we're living in some crazy stuff, man. Crazy times going on, but you know, the Lord's faithful and he's step by step leading us. You know, I want to be in step with the Lord. You know, I could get ahead of him or I could lag behind, <laughs> right? But I want to be in step with God and moving at his pace and in his time. And that has nothing to do with my study today, but I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Um, but this morning, if you guys could open up, I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is John. I, um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I'm a father of three. I have two grandkids and uh, been married for almost going on 24, almost 24 years and um, been a been a blessing. And and, um, you know, it's always neat to have a wife by your side that supports you and loves you. And, you know, before we left, before I left, my wife said, let me pray for you. You know, there's nothing like that. Um, there's nothing like that to have. And I appreciate her and uh, my kids. And uh, as, as difficult as it may be, um, God is faithful and uh, he sees us through all the ups and downs. But in 1 Samuel chapter 25, um, you know, we're going to see the character of a very foolish man. Um, he's married to a very wise woman, which sounds like something's wrong there, right? A very foolish man married to a very wise woman. Well, she's not too wise because she married a very foolish woman. But back then, they, it was probably an arranged marriage. Right. But we're going to look at this very foolish man. And also I want to look at this up and coming king. And you guys know who he is. He's not king during at this time, but his name is David. And it's been said you're either a good example or a bad example. No matter what, you're always an example. Right. Uh, you're either a good one or a bad one. And in this chapter, we're going to see both good and bad. So, Father, we do pray as we open your word that you will speak to us. Um, Lord, your word is, as it says up here on the wall, Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, God. So, Lord, it's like a mirror, and we want to look into it. We want to see the blemishes and the things that are in our lives, and even the, the things that you've perfected, maybe, and, and you've grown and you've developed within us, Father. But, Lord, may you speak to our hearts as we commit our time in Jesus' name. Chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. So let's look at it. Um, verses 1 through 3. We'll, we'll read through. I'm just going to make some comments as we go along. But notice it says, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, there was a man of Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Um, and he was there shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of this man was Nabal. Now, they say Nabal, Nabal, Nabal. I just, I'm going to call him Nabal. Or, right? You guys know what I'm saying. So, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. So the image and the character of this person, Nabal, we see that he was wealthy. We see that he was married to a good woman. Um, but he was he was harsh. Right. In the New Living Translation, it said he was crude and mean 
In the English standard, in the English standard version, it says he, he was harsh and he, he was badly behaved. Right? That's the character of this guy. And then in verses 17 and 25, if you kind of just look ahead a little bit, it refers to him as a scoundrel. <laughs> right? And that's from his, one of the servants that was close to him and even his own wife. And that word scoundrel in the Hebrew means a worthless person. Crazy, right? That's, that's pretty nice. So this guy was wealthy with cattle, but he was worthless in character. This guy was full of possessions, but he was a fool in people's eyes and to those that were closest to him. That's what his name means. His name means full. And I don't know, Caleb, where's Caleb? You know what your name means, Caleb? <laughs> it's, uh, well, one is dog and then one is whole. So <laughs> I just want to make sure I, before I, that I acknowledge that Caleb's here and his name's Caleb. And I know uh, Jason has a brother named Caleb. But so the house of Caleb or the dog, we could say this guy was a foolish dog. Right. He was his name means full and he's from the house of Caleb. Very interesting. And I just want to ask you guys, what what fragrance or what image do you put off to people? You know, what do you put off? How, how do the people closest to you perceive you? We just had this little prayer time for a young man that passed away at my job. Um, tragedy took place uh, a year ago yesterday. Um, he was doing a test. We, we work with some pretty hazardous stuff and some things. And um, there was an explosion. And he fell victim to that explosion there. There in Fullerton, um, where we're at. It was, it was a horrible event. A young man, 26 years old, fiancé, getting married. Uh, no kids, but it was a mentor. And, and some people were sharing some stuff about him yesterday. And, and it was so neat to hear all the good stuff and how people perceived him. He, he helped people, you know, they, they would ride bikes and, 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 and he was the one, the guy that was in the back, he slowed down and wait for that guy and ride with that guy that was towards the back. You know, he was always the guy that was thinking of the guy that was less, if you will. And I, and I thought that was so neat because that's what they were saying. That's how they perceived who he was. That was the fragrance that he put off. And, and, and sometimes it's crazy. You, don't, you may never know what people think of you until you're gone, right? But we're called to put on the fragrance of Christ. If you're a believer here, that's what we're called to do. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, the New Living Translation. He says this. He says, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, for one, But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing, right? So we put off a different fragrance depending on who that person is. To those who are perishing, to those who are non-believers, we're a dreadful smell of death, right? And doom. The New Living Translation, great illustrative words, right? We're a smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, to the church, the people, to hopefully our families, we are a life-giving perfume. I like that. I like that. Nabal had a fragrance. And we need to ask ourselves, what is our fragrance? What do we put off? What do you put off to people? It makes a big difference. And we're going to see that as we go along here. And the result and the fruit of how he lived his life. So notice verse 4. We'll continue on. It says, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, uh, David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house and peace to all that you have. Now, I have heard that you have shears, your shepherds were with us. And we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were there in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. 
Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. So oftentimes thieves will come into a place where there was cattle, where there was farming taking place, and they would basically rip them off. They would steal. While David's men acted as this kind of this protection for families, for these sort of people, these sort of setups, so they wouldn't be ripped off all the time. But when feasting day came in, when the shearing was taking place, there was this unwritten law in the land that um, those that were being protected would bless those who've been protecting them. And that's what David and, um, and his men were doing for Nabal and his family and those that were working for him. Sort of like restaurant owners, right? You hear about restaurant owners that bless the what? They bless the police officers, right? They, hey, man, you got a business? You got food? Cops come in? You don't want to charge. They're, they're serving and they're trying to protect your community. So you bless them. So they came to collect. Uh, they didn't come demandingly or forcefully, but they just said, hey, remember us, right? Remember the service that we gave to you. But what does this harsh and evil guy say? <laughs> Basically, kick rocks, man, right? Keep, keep on going. Notice verse 10 and 11. Check it out. He says, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from, um, from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water, my meat I, that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David wasn't a king, as I mentioned at this time, but it was obvious that he was becoming the next king in line after Saul. So Nabal is aware of who David is. And because we know later on, Abigail, his wife, fully knows who David is. But many believe that Nabal was probably a supporter of Saul. He was probably um, one who supported him. He probably had a King Saul um, banner in his, in his farm there or something like that, right? But um, Nabal, he just pretty much, pretty much insults David's men. And that's what we read later on when the servant hears this conversation. He says, our master was just hurling, just giving insults to the servants of David. But what else do we notice here? Notice the personal pronouns. We hear a lot about pronouns nowadays, right? Notice the personal pronouns there in verse 11. Look, Look at it. Notice what he says. He goes, this is Nabal saying, shall I then take my bread? And my water and my meat that I have killed for my shares and give it to men when I do not know where they are from. You know, um, very interesting, right? An indicator of a person who is just um, who's just very selfish, very stuck on I and me. And I was thinking of this because you know who else was like that? Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? King Nebuchadnezzar over in, in Daniel chapter 4. You don't, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you guys. But King Nebuchadnezzar, um, they, these guys had different outcomes. Right? King Nebuchadnezzar actually got right um, after, he was, um, after he was dealt with and brought down, brought low. But it says this, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, it says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke. So this is what what Nebuchadnezzar says. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? If you read on there through the rest of that, It says, while the word was still in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You, They shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat 
grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rolls in the kingdom of God and, and, and God gives it to whomever he chooses. In that very hour, it was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. So, man, this 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 approach, this mindset of it's about me, it's my kingdom, it's what I've done. Man, that that's it, it's not going to fly because the proverbs say what? Pride goes before destruction, right? Goes before a fall. A haughty spirit before a fall, right? So this is eventually what we'll see with Nabal, right? He's going to eventually be done with. But very interesting on how the world and how us as believers should conduct ourselves and be reminded of. You know, I have nothing that... I've developed or that I've done or whatever else, whatever I've been blessed with or whatever I've had an opportunity to partake in, it's all been because of the Lord. You know, I I, I need to what? Decrease that he might increase in my life. Very contrary to the attitude of these, of, of Nabal, who we just read about, but also that King Nebuchadnezzar. It's all about me. And that's not, the character of a Christian man or a Christian in itself. Notice verse 12 as we continue on through 13. I'll just make some comments. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, right? And they came and told him, told David all these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. So David's men report back. David's not happy. David plans to go take Nabal out. Verse 14. Now one of the young men, right back at the ranch. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master." And he reviled them. He, he threw insults at them. But the men were very good to us. And we were not hurt. Nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall to us. They were a protection to us, both by night and day. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore... Uh, know and consider what you will do for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five shades of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs, loaded them on the donkeys, and she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. So this servant is obviously concerned for um, his master, his household, his own life. But notice he reaches out to the wife, Abigail, and not Nabal, the one that the threat is really against. But did you notice verse 17 and verse 19? I want to draw your attention to that. Notice as it says, the servant says, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. (laughs) You know, one cannot speak to him. And then it says that Abigail prepared all these things and she set out on her donkey, but she did not tell her husband, Nabal. You know, Those that are closest to you, if they cannot talk to you or come to you, something is wrong, not with them, but with you. It's just the bottom line. If my wife, my kids, or those that I'm serving and leading cannot come to me directly, something is wrong with you, not them. I love the example of Jesus. You know, because people came to Jesus. And if Jesus lives in you, then 
it should be something in you that is attractive and people are willing to come to you. Whether it was a religious leader, a woman caught in, in adultery or whatever it was, or even a child, people felt comfortable with coming to Jesus. And again, it's the fragrance we put off. It's, if my attitude and my personality stings, guess what? People will avoid me. You know, and, and we, we tend to see patterns that take place in our lives. If you, if you kind of monitor your life and kind of take note of some patterns in your life. You know, if, if there's guys that I'm around maybe once a month and, and they identify something in my life and they say something and, and they bring it to my attention. All right. Okay. That's cool. Right. <laughs> if coworkers in my life that I'm around more, you know, several hours throughout the day, if they bring something to my life, they identify something to me. All right. (laughs) I see them a little bit more. But if my wife or my kids or those that I'm really connected with and laboring with begin to um, confirm those same things, I better start listening. I better start listening and looking in the mirror because those are the ones I want to listen to. Those are the ones I want to hear from because my wife is not my enemy. My wife is there for me. As I mentioned, I appreciate that. She's there to support me because she doesn't want me to be unable. She doesn't want me to look like a fool. She loves me and she's for me. And, 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 and if you're a husband, you, you want your wife to be your greatest supporter. You want those that are around you to be your greatest supporter. You want to be able to receive criticism when it's due. And if you can't receive that criticism, you're going to have problems all the time with people. Your relationships with people are going to, are going to struggle. There's always going to be this struggle there. And that's not how we should be living. That's a sad thing. Because we're built for relationships. We're built for that. That's why they have prisons, right? Torture, man. You're isolated. You're isolated from people, interaction with people. That's not what, that's not what we're, we're, we're made for. We're made for relationship, to have that fellowship, that, that connection with people. Nabal didn't listen, nor did he look in the mirror. <laughs> Here's a few tips if you want people to avoid you. Right? Give, give the opposite. Here's a few tips. You want people to avoid you. Add more work to them, right? Than when they first came to you in that conversation. They come to you and they ask you something. Well, put more on them. And then in in align with that, add some unrealistic expectations on them. They'll avoid you. You keep that going eventually, ongoing, you know, over time, they'll eventually um, not come to you and they will avoid you. Maybe that's what you want. I don't know. Um, or make it seem like it's their fault when they come to you. Hey, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. And all of a sudden, now it's my fault. How, how did that happen? And I say this because I've done it. I've done it with my oldest daughter. I did it. I put expectations on her that she wasn't able to lift. You know, I, I, I added things. I wanted her to get on the bench lunch tables at, at school and preach the gospel. She just wanted to go to school and make some friends. Right. You know, I, I, I would twist things on her and make it seem like you're at fault. You'll make people avoid you really quick if you continue to do that in your life. You continue to interact with people that way. That's what's going to happen. And, and before you know it, you're like, why, why is this happening? Why, why, why am I hearing about things after the fact? Well, people don't care about your opinion anymore. Because you, you don't make it light. You don't relieve them of their challenge that is going on in their lives. You know, sometimes people just need prayer. 
I don't have the answer, but let me pray for you. And then they, you follow up and say, hey, how, how are you doing? How's that going, man? And it's not, you know, it's, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not coming to you for you to add more stuff to me or to make me feel like it's my fault. Just hear me out. And I remember doing that to my own daughter. And thankfully, by the grace of God, she loves me. And we have a great relationship now. And she calls me. But it has taken me to say, I'm sorry, honey. I blew it. I remember I had to teach at a, I was teaching at a father-daughter. Uh, we had this, um, this event over at Downey. But it was a, it was a father-daughter. Um, we, we went to uh, golf and stuff. And it was only dads and daughters. And I had the opportunity to share with the men. And, and, and I just remember um, feeling just like a failure. Here I am. The Lord wants me to share with these dads for their, with their daughters. And, and, and I just sensed I had blown it a few times. You know, I remember just calling her and saying, you know, you know, honey, just I, I feel like just like I blew it. You know, I, I, I've said some things. I've done some things. And, and, and you know, she, she, she responded and what have you. But I remember her texting me the next that that morning and she said you know dad you you might have made some mistakes she goes but I still love you because you know how to come and admit your wrongs you know how to come and humble yourself and you you're the best dad that I could ever have you know and that meant a lot to me and that freed me to be able to share with these men and, and to to address them but man it, it may be in the home, but it may be just your relationships outside, whatever it is. But as we continue on, I, uh, you know, David continues, and I, I kind of got off track a little bit. But verse 20, that's where we left off at. We'll read a couple of verses. But notice it says, so it was as she rode on the donkey. Man, wouldn't it be a great time to have it? I wonder how much gas was then, <laughs> right? Um, donkeys sound pretty good about now. So I think Mark should get a donkey and just right from yeah. from home, right? Yeah, you and Buck, you and Buck could, you and Buck could be on the same, yeah, right? The new Uber, right? The donkey. So, but so uh, so as she rode on her donkey, that uh, she went down under cover on the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now, David has said, surely in vain, I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing uh, was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David. If I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So David is angry. His ego has been wounded, right? And I'll, and I'll explain why, right? He's not dealing with this correctly. Why? Because David, um, because David's not paying some, for, for someone not to pay for this neighborhood watch was not a capital crime, right? Just wasn't. It, it, was, a, it was a service that you did and whatever they gave you, they gave you. This was not a capital crime for them to not pay you because in the grand scheme of things, Nabal was nobody, right? Because who was after David during this time? King Saul, right? Who wanted to kill him. And David often what? Forgave him. But David can't forgive this guy who doesn't want to feed him, right? Something's wrong, right? David is in the wrong at this point, look at verse 23 as we continue on. It says, now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please not let my Lord regard this scoundrel, Nabal, my husband, for as his name is, so is he, Nabal, is his full name, is his name, and folly is with him. Wow. So, so two things here. Two things. A wife should never talk about her husband this way to another man or to another person. 
right? That shouldn't be happening. Desperate situation, I get it, but in reality, she shouldn't be. So Abigail is wrong, even though it's true what she's saying, right? But also notice how she approached David and how she, she, she was able to diffuse, ultimately, she's able to diffuse this situation. First, we see that she fell on her face and at his feet. A position or a, 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 yeah, a position of submission and humility. But also, I, I like what she says, and I, and I circled this in my Bible or highlighted it. She says, on me, let this iniquity be. On me. I love that there in verse 24. So she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, let this iniquity be. She's taking responsibility, even though it's not directly her fault. I love that because does that sound familiar? Jesus took full responsibility for our sins, even though it was not directly his fault. It was not even even remotely his fault. It was all on us, right? He bore our sins. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But notice, you know, the responsibility taking, especially as a man, as a leader, as who, whoever you are, whatever your status is. But here's the thing. If something or someone is off in your home, you need to take responsibility for that husband or dad. You need to take responsibility for that. Let not, you know, culture wants to do what? Wants to blame. Wants to blame. Wants to point fingers and blame each other. But it's, we're called to take the responsibility. I think of Daniel and Nehemiah. In Daniel's prayer, Daniel is praying what? Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is saying, man, we have sinned. In Nehemiah, he prayed, he, same thing. He acknowledges we have fallen short. These guys weren't directly involved in what was going on, but they acknowledged and they took the responsibility even, um, even though they weren't directly involved in what was taking place. And I think that speaks loud. And for us younger men, it's great to, it's great to learn on taking responsibility. As a leader, the, the people around you are a reflection of your leadership. If you got guys around you that are, you got to eventually take, take step back and say, well, what about me? <laughs> What's going on with me? But I like what she says. She says, on me, let this iniquity be. Notice verse 25. We'll take another um, chunk of uh, uh, scripture here. But notice, I'm sorry. Um, towards the middle of 25, she, she says, but I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now, then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this Present, she brought him a present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord. Let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out from the pocket of a sling and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you as ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. So Abigail, 
gives this powerful plea to David. She says, if I would have seen your men, I would have blessed them. And by the way, here's a present for them. When they came, we didn't give them, here it is. But she also mentions that to David that the Lord has stopped you right here in your tracks from committing this murder, as it says there in verse 26. He, he's, he stopped you. But also notice in verse 28, she brings David to this place of reminding him of his destiny and the call that the Lord has put upon him. Notice, look at verse 28. Towards the end of 28, it says, For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. David, you're going to have a lasting dynasty. You're going to have a lasting dynasty because that's what she says in verse 30. It says, And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. David, remember all that the Lord has done and spoken to you concerning your future, right? What he's done, you've slayed Goliath. What he's done, that you were anointed by Samuel. What he's done, you've been chosen amongst your brothers, to eventually be king, right? And it's moments like this, because David's in the heat of the moment here. And it's moments like this, when we're making those haste, rash, emotional decisions that we make our biggest mistakes in the heat of the moment, whatever that means to you, right? Whether you deal with anger or you deal with that lust and you deal with those things, and it's in that heat of the moment, man, that we make some of our biggest mistakes, And maybe some of you guys have already done that. The Lord has forgiven you. He wants to forgive you if you want to receive that and and take that in. He's there. He's ready to forgive. God's ready to pardon, the Bible says. But nowhere does it say that David sought the Lord. Instead, it says that he told his boys, gird your swords. Let's get your swords, right? David was in the heat of the moment. And he was in the wrong. He was in the wrong. But David needed to be reminded of his destiny. He needed to be reminded of his destiny. And that's what I, I, I really sense the Lord wanted me to share with you guys. That there's a plan. You hear that, right? Maybe when you're... A, Coming to the Lord, oh, there's a plan for your life, brother, right? right? There's, they, they, they say, right, there's all that. And you know, yeah, it's like one of those Christianese kind of say, but ultimately there is, right? We know the scriptures, the plans that they, he has for us to give us a future and a hope. God does have a plan. He does. But here's the thing, and follow me here, that David needs to be reminded of his destiny, but He needed to exercise integrity as he was reminded of his destiny, right? Your destiny is something you're you're, you're striving for. But along the way, you need to practice integrity. Along the way, because here's the thing. Gifts and talents, if you're gifted and you're talented, you can speak very well. You, You got these gifts. You could do all these things. Gifts and talents will get you there. But your integrity and character will keep you there. Gifts and talents are great. But they're they're limited. It's your integrity and your character that will keep you there. David, you don't want this black guy on your reputation. Right? You don't want this. Notice what she says in, in, in verse 31, the New Living Translation. It says this. David... Don't let this be a blemish on your record. You have a destiny. But this, if you follow through with this murder, if you follow through with what you want to do based upon your emotions, this is going to be a blemish on your record. Don't let this happen, David. David, consider the consequences. 
Consider the consequences. I love when I remember being at a conference and Pastor Steve Mays was sharing with with us as far as um, what he would share with his staff. And this is what he would share with his staff. The guys that were there serving with him, he would say this. He would tell them this. Think it through. Whoa. Think it through. You come to a situation, you come to a fork in the road. Think it through. If you see a, a yellow light, you know what's coming after that. You have a, a time and a moment to think it through. Do I run through this yellow light and face the consequences of pedestrian, another car? Think it through. Think this through. And that's what Abigail is basically telling David. David, think it through. Exercise integrity. Nabal was wealthy, but compared to David, he was a nobody. David can kill this guy with no immediate consequences. Right? Nabal, he's, he, was, he was wealthy, but he was nobody. And it talks about, and that reminds me of just the little things. And it's the little things that trip us up. Nabal was a little thing, if you will. And here he is, David, being tripped up by this little Thing, if you will. And I like because Jesus teaches that principle. And we we're talking about this. Being faithful in the little and you'll be what? Ruler over much. And that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to be faithful in the little. Right? You want to fulfill the destiny and call that God has for you? Then exercise integrity in the little things along the way. Exercise integrity in the little things. Think it through. Consider the consequences of your decisions, guys. You guys are husbands. You guys are fathers. Your decision doesn't just affect your life. It affects. I love what my, my son-in-law, he, he's, he's great. You know, my son-in-law, he was not the guy that I thought of for my daughter right he was just not he's not the guy he's not the guy that I would I would have saw I, that's the man I want for my daughter he's not the guy he's not the guy I tell you right now I'll, I'll cut to the chase I love him dearly I love him dearly he's he, he's he's a blessing in my life but you know, um, he, he was, there, there's just some things that I've seen change in his life. You know, it's like he would go from job to job. He would do, oh, yeah, I could do He's a very gifted young man and, and knows how to lead and real business minded. He's now a, a manager over like 12, 15 different stores there in Dallas over an automotive. Uh, so he's, he's, he's done well, you know, but. He now realizes that I just can't make these, these quick, rash decisions anymore. I got responsibility. And my decisions affect my family. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that as a, as a, as a father for my daughter. And I, and, and I think that's something we need to be reminded of. You know, my decisions affect those around me. The things I say. You know, I was, I was, I, I have a, my dog, I have a Labrador, two labs, and I, I'm not the best dog owner, all right? Because they're labs, they're not very vicious, they're not vicious dogs, but they're dogs, right? So when I go to the park, I'm the guy that doesn't have them on a leash. Well, I let them out of my truck, and they just take off into the park, you know? And one time there was neighbors and there's people, well, someone, so it's weird, but cat people get mad at dog people because they don't have their dogs on a leash, but their cats could roam around anywhere they want. Well, my dog sees this cat coming down a tree. The, the cat decides to run across the street into his backyard. Well, one of my dogs wants to follow it. Screaming little girl, dad, dad, my cat, my cat. This is now I'm like, oh no, no. His name's Cash after Johnny Cash. 
Cass, get over here, whatever, big old scene, this and that. Well, the father gets so upset at me uh, for obvious reasons, right? I received it. I received the rebuke. He said, bro, I get it, man. I apologize, bro. Well, you know what? If you really love your dog, this and that, he starts like kind of taking it to the next level, right? I'm like, all right, bro. All right. Gotcha, man. It won't happen again. I was thinking, it's like, I'm in his neighborhood. I know where he lives. You don't know where I live. Like, that was pretty foolish. I could be a crazy guy. He has kids. He has a family. It's not a wise decision, man. You're angry over a cat that's probably going to get hit next week. And you're willing to... Sorry, cat lovers. But you're, you're willing to do that. You don't know where I'm from. You don't know what I'm capable of doing. You have a wife and kids, bro. Like, you know. And, and, and so, I don't know why I said that. So, but my, by our decisions affect how I react, respond to people. So, God, God has this plan. He has this destiny. And some of you guys are called to something great, man. And you may be walking in that already. Go for it. Stay the course. You know, God wants obedience rather than sacrifice. He wants obedience rather than sacrifice. You continue to stay this course as God puts it before you. I love what Paul says in Galatians. He says, do not let us grow weary, right? In well-doing. But in due season we shall reap. If we do not lose heart. It's conditional. You know, we got to stay this course. We got to be mindful. We got to think things through as they come before us. I think of Joseph, right? Joseph, God had a destiny for that young man. For you young men, you got to listen. God had a destiny. And in Genesis chapter 50, I'll read it to you guys. Genesis chapter, this was the destiny. This was the ultimate plan for Joseph. He says this, but as for you, he tells his brothers, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. The ultimate plan and destiny for, for, for Joseph was that he was going to save a whole, a whole generation, a whole um, nation of people. That was God's ultimate plan and destiny for Joseph. But along the way, Guess what happened? A lot of stuff. Potiphar's wife. Along the way, he had to practice integrity and obedience before he ultimately saw what God had called him to do. And that's the key, right? Is as he said there with Potiphar, how can I do this great sin before my God? In the heat of the moment, Joseph had a divine accountability. We talk a lot about accountability, right? Oh, you need accountability, bro. You need accountability. You have an accountability partner? You know, who do you, who do you talk to? You know, who do you confess with? And this and that. That's great. Joseph had a divine accountability. How can I do this great sin before my God? It was him and, it was, it was him and Potiphar's wife. There's no one else there. There wasn't his accountability partner. God was there. And he had to practice this integrity. Man, we need to practice that. If I want to see what God has for me, I got to get these things in order in my life. I think of Revelation chapter 3, 2 or 3, where, where, where the church of Ephesus is doing all these things, right? You've been... You've been faithful in all these things. They, they were busy. They were growing. There's all this stuff. However, I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. You know, there's that one thing. And what is that one thing, man? It's that one thing, guys, that could keep us from fully walking in what God has for us. And I got to keep that in check. I had some crazy stuff happen to me this last week. I'm like, what is that about? What? what, what? 
what? Why is, why is that girl um, reaching out to me within my company? I never talked to her. I need to practice integrity. I need to keep it on the up and up. I don't want to allow the enemy to gain a toehold and then a foothold and eventually a what? A stronghold. And to take me out. I got to be mindful. I want to know. So Joseph, David is going to be faithful and obedient in these circumstances here. So back over in um, uh, into Samuel, verse 32, we'll, um, let me see, is that where we left off at? Good. Um, verse 32. So, 32. Then David said to Abigail, so she does her, she gives her spiel, she, she reminds David of his destiny and into, into, man, be mindful, you don't want this on your record, David, you, you don't want this blemish. And David, notice it says in verse 32, it says that David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. I love that. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand, right? You want God to fight your battles. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to me surely by morning light no males would have left to Nabal so David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her go up in peace to your house see I have heeded your voice and respected your person so man David made very foolish decisions in his life, right? And we know that. Bathsheba, Uriah, uh, taking his senses. But here, David makes a smart, godly, wise decision by receiving the advice. And I love, as I mentioned, what it says there in verse 32. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. You know, along the way, God wants to meet with us through others just sitting at his feet. I think that's been one of the the greatest things that has taken place through all this COVID stuff. Hopefully, during that time, you were sitting more, receiving more, whatever. And man, I think we're seeing the fruit of some of that these days. Is that we had this opportunity to sit and receive. But he wants to meet us. And he wants to intervene in our lives. The question is, are you listening? The question is, are you listening? And are you able to receive from the source that he sends? In this case, it's a woman. Right? I remember being in the hospital with my daughter for, um, you know, the time that we were there. And, and man, it was a rough time. Rough, rough time. And I remember a security guard coming up to me basically saying, hey, you don't belong on this floor. Because I had the wrong color badge on. And my daughter was in ICU. I was on the ICU floor. I had the wrong color badge on. This, this young security guard comes up to me. He's like, hey, you don't belong here. You don't tell a dad who has a daughter in ICU that you don't belong here. I wanted to shed some blood. I wasn't happy. And exchanged some words with them. I felt horrible. felt terrible. felt condemned. I was just... I was... I listened to the lie, received it. Who did God send to me? A janitor. He sent a janitor to me to speak into my life and to pray with me and to help me through that particular moment. He sent a janitor. He didn't send a doctor. Sophisticated, you know, white coat. He didn't send a doctor. He sent a janitor. And I will forever be indebted to that janitor. I saw him a, a while, long while back and, and, I, and, I, and I acknowledged him and said, hey, bro, you don't realize what you did for me, how the Lord used you. But God sends people. God sends people. I remember being out at Skid Row. 
remember being out in Skid Row with, with some youth. Maybe, I don't know how many youth we had. We were broken up into groups. And they have different streets there. They have the crack street, the speed street, the heroin street, the prostitute street, the gay street, all these different streets. I can't remember what street we were on, but there was this woman that we got to pray for. Uh, she was, I believe she was, I think we were on the crack street. I think she was, she was into crack and this and that. And I was joking, this, whatever. And, and I was cracking on the, on the, the people that was there. And, and, and she said, well, you're the leader. They're a reflection of you. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. And that, that struck me. It was the Lord using this drugged out lady. And as we parted away, she says, oh, by the way, I have AIDS too. All right. But God spoke to me. God reminded me, yes. (laughs) What you say and what you do affects other people. You're responsible for certain things. You're responsible for certain people's lives. Especially those that are closest to you. Because this, if the, the, the Proverbs say, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. Got to receive some correction. Got to receive some rebuke once in a while. And the Proverbs say that you will abide among the wise. And no doubt David received it and he was raised up and he dwelt among the wise as well. Finishing up our story, verse 36. Now Abigail, verse 36, went to Nabal. And there he was holding a feast in his house like a king. <laughs> Nabal's heart was very merry within him for he was drunk. Therefore, she told him little or much. Um, she told him nothing until the morning light, verse 37. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife uh, had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness on Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as a wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash your feet, to wash the feet of your servants, O my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey and attended by five of her maidservants. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And then it talks about his, his other wives and stuff like that, that he took on. But, you know, what is it profiting man to gain the whole world, but to lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nabal lived and died as a fool. That was his, that was his, like, bless you, bro. That was his legacy. That was the legacy of Nabal. In the end, he lost his soul, his spouse, right? David saw it. David was an opportunist. (laughs) He saw Abigail as an opportunity. But in the end, Nabal lost his soul, his spouse, and his stuff. David had it. The one that he didn't want to give to ended up getting it all. You know, David made a wise decision here. And we learned from his example. And that's a great thing. Being able to receive advice from a woman that he didn't know. Being able to receive advice from whoever God sends us. Recognizing the destiny and the call. You know, David had, David made a very wise decision. Good example here. However, David had very many highs. And he had high highs and low lows. Right, because we haven't gotten to, and we won't, and you can read it later. But Second Samuel chapter eleven through twelve, and chapter twenty-four. You got Bathsheba and Uriah, the conversation with Nathan, the unveiling of his sin there, and then chapter twenty-four where he 
gave that census and put out that census to the people. David made a wise decision here, but he also made some very foolish decisions as well. Very foolish. And that brings some comfort to me, but it also reminds me that I want to finish well. You know, I could be, you can be put on the shelf because of our failures or our shortcomings. And we're in a marathon. And along the way, we're going to encounter certain things, certain people, certain things that are going to happen to us. And one thing about David, though, this is the great thing about David. As I said, he had high highs and low lows. But David kept repenting and turning back to the Lord. He would get up and continue on. He, David was always open. That's something I always tell my son. And it's great to see, um, you know, the young men here. You know, I've known Buff for a long time and um, just seen Alex and Jason and, 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 and Russ. And, you know, but I always tell my son, son, keep your heart soft before the Lord. Don't get a hard heart, right? It talks about this, the hardness of a heart. And it can happen along the way. David always kept a soft, repentant heart before him. He recognized his failures. He acknowledged his failures. He took responsibility for his failures. And he turned and got it right with God. Read chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. He doesn't listen to the guys around him. He takes a census. They say, are you sure? You want to take a census? He goes out, he does that. And then he realizes he blew it, man. It says that his heart, that the Lord, that his heart was condemned. And he realized he failed. Guys, keep a soft heart, man. As you keep a soft heart, you think it through. You, you, you realize that you have a call and a destiny. Man, display and exercise integrity along the way. And God's going to use you. God's going to fulfill. He's going to get you to that. You may be kind of like, I'm not sure right now. Don't, don't get caught up on what's on the end. Be in the moment and be faithful what God has put before you. If it's showing up to a worship practice on time, show up to work, worship practice on time. If it's being at work and loving that guy that's challenging in front of you, be faithful in that. And God will continue to guide you and get you to where he's ultimately called you. Amen? Amen. Amen. God, we thank you, Lord, for, ah, Lord, just your word. We thank you for the examples, Lord God, good and bad. Lord, we can learn from them. And Lord, I thank you for these men. I pray, Father, for their homes. I pray for their families, Lord. I pray for their wives, their kids. Father, that you would use them. You would bless them. Lord, I pray that they would enjoy their families, Lord. That they be faithful with their wives. That they be faithful with their kids, Lord God. Just loving them, Lord God. Not putting trips on them. Not, not putting expectations that they can't bear. But Lord, simply loving them and sharing truth and love with them. When correction is needed, Lord, give them wisdom. Give them what they need, Father God. Lord, they will continue to build bridges, not burn them. They will build bridges in people's lives. They would develop a platform within people's lives to be able to speak into people's lives, Father. You would use them greatly, Father God. For those that are struggling and just going through it, Lord, Lord, give them the hope. Help them and just remind them that we live for something greater. We live for something greater, Lord. And we thank you for that. You resurrected. You died and you resurrected. Therefore, we have hope of heaven. So, Lord, we thank you for that, Father God. But, Lord, I want to ask really fast to you guys, if there's anyone that's just, you know what, I, I just need to, I, I gotten off track. <laughs> gotten a little bit off. You know, my integrity in my life is not that strong right now. I, I've opened the window. I've opened the door. I've opened the roof, whatever, however big it is. I've let, I've let it in. And I've allowed compromise. And um, I just want to pray for you. And, and it starts by just remembering that Jesus bled and died for that sin, guys. And he loves you. But he wants you to get it right. He wants you to find victory in that area. And, and I just want to pray. If anyone needing prayer, just really fast, raise your hand. Just 
See, all right. Praise the Lord. All right. All right. So God is, guys, just recognize it, Lord. And, and or we're reminded that some of them are called to be future leaders and, and missionaries and maybe pastors, Lord God. But Lord, right now, we just want to be good followers of you. We just want to follow you. We want to be obedient, God. I pray right now that your spirit would fill them, that you would give them the power to overcome. Lord, that they would know that they are overcomers because of what you have done. So Lord, give them the strength. Give them your word, Father. I pray that they meditate upon a word day and night as it says there in Joshua. That they would meditate upon it. That your word would be what stands in between that temptation and them. That word would be a buffer. That word would be what keeps them moving along. And gives them that strength, Father God. May you refresh them during their times of devotion. When you speak to them. Give them their orders for the day. As they go forth, Father God. So bless my brothers in a great way. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Bless you guys.